0: Let's stand again. Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We've been talking about divine destiny, Uh, this this law of the kingdom of God that uh, that we discover here in Ephesians that tells us that we were created for good works, that there's something for us to do, that each one of us have a divine destiny. There's a sense in us that we're supposed to our life is supposed to mean something and accomplish something in the kingdom. You have that very place. There's a place for you. But you can't discover your divine destiny until you first had divine transformation. And we took a lot of time to talk about that and unpack that last, last Sunday. If you missed that, uh, I would encourage you to get online. All of our messages are online that you can go to and just listen to them if you miss a service or if you just want to go listen again uh, or encourage somebody else to. Uh, they can go right on our website and get it. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Why were we created? For good works. We're supposed to do something. Uh, Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Lord, bless this message today. Encourage us in it. And Father, by the power of your spirit, let love rule in our hearts. And let it, Father, let love's end come about in our lives, in Jesus' name, Amen. I have been in a pastoral ministry for 37 years, and uh, and I still feel like just a baby sometimes. But in 37 years, there's you 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 face a lot of, things, a, lot of a lot of a lot of great celebrations. A lot of great victories where you see uh, and and experience people who others have prayed for for years at times come to know Christ. Uh, You 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 experience uh, many spiritual battles. Uh, Things that you understand, things that you don't understand. Things where you think the body should joyfully gather around and be united and some do and some don't. Uh, things where you think, boy, everybody should just dive into this and go hard, and some do and some don't. Uh, been a part of a lot of weddings, been a part of a lot of funerals. Uh, when I think about funerals, I've, I've uh, been a part of funerals for infants and been a part of funerals for, uh, I think the oldest was 99 years old. I've uh, been, been a part of... Funerals for relatives and for friends and co-workers in the kingdom and a people that I am certain are in heaven and people I'm not so certain by the way they lived their life and the way they conducted their faith or lack of faith. But out of all of those, there's one that I would rank as the most pitiful funerals that I was ever a part of, and I've mentioned it from time to time here I was a young youth pastor, and uh, the church got a call from the funeral home. A man had passed away. And uh, in his, when he had signed up at the hospital, they, they let him. There's a place many times where you can sign up and you say, what church you're a part of? And he had mentioned that he was a part of Calvary. And uh, then he died. And, and he had been sent to this funeral home. And they called us and said, gave us his name, said he's a part of our church. And we, we immediately looked up his name. No one knew him. We looked up his name in our records, and we had no record of him ever attending. If he attended, he'd never signed a connection card, or he'd never done anything to let us know he was here. Uh, he'd come and gone and been anonymous if he was here at all. And uh, so uh, my father uh, said, you need to go serve that family. And so uh, uh, that became my assignment to go try to meet with the family and to serve them. And, and uh, they had no visitation the night before. Uh, just a short visitation. was assigned a few hours before the funeral. And so I'd gone out. And when I got there, the director told me that he'd, he'd had to choose everything. He'd had to choose the casket. He'd had to choose the times. He'd had to choose everything because no one had called no one had uh, had shown up no one had done anything there's no family at all uh, we waited there were no flowers no notes of any kind of, of any kind came and and it's getting closer and closer to the time for the the service itself and just before the service a couple of people walked in they didn't know each other one as i talked to them i discovered one of them was a neighbor who had lived down the street and he said yeah i i heard he would passed away uh you know, I'd, I'd waved at him when I would drive by if he was out in the yard a couple times. I'd stopped and said hello to him, but didn't know him very well. But thought I should come. He's a neighbor. The other was a co-worker, actually not necessarily even a co-worker, somebody who worked in the same building with this man. And he said, yeah, I, I'd see him in the halls and I would speak to him and he would say hello, but that was about the, the extent of what we knew him. None of his other co-workers were there as, as well. No one else had showed up. I've wondered about this man many times over the years. What was his story? Was he painfully shy? Was he just so shy that he just kind of existed and, and, and hid out from people? Did he have a, an emotional or a, a mental uh, issue that uh, that? that filled him with fear or filled him with anxiety around people that kept him from connecting with people and it was easier for him to hide out. Had his family died? Did he have a family and they died and 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 he didn't want to open his heart up to that kind of wound anymore and he kind of crawled into a, a lonely shell of a life and kept himself separated and other people at arm's length from his life? Was he just a mean old guy? that nobody wanted to be around and everybody who'd been a part of his life had long since stopped caring about Was he a functioning alcoholic or drug addict that holed up in his home each night, chained to his addiction? Was it a tragic mix-up? Did they read the name on the card wrong? Did the wrong church get called and that somehow families and relatives get missed in contact and now the funeral has moved forward and nobody even knew uh, that this had happened. Were his friend's unaware. Why was he alone? Uh, You know, at that moment when people die, most people are surrounded by friends and loved ones and they come together and they comfort each other and they talk about what the person meant to them and how they spoke into their life or how they cared for them or funny stories that happened or things that took place that reflect the person's life and there's some sort of celebration, but not not for this fellow. It was a blank. I have long since settled that I will never know the story, but whatever the story is, it's pretty pitiful, isn't it? I've only had, In all these years of ministry, I've only had that happen one time and with great assurance can say that's not going to be my story and I don't think it's going to be your story. Uh, with great uncertainty, we will be right. Some of us might have a few people that aren't, won't be sad to see us go. I know I've got a few that might dance a little bit, but that's okay. They can stay home. All the rest can come and be a part of that day and, talk about the silly things I've done in life but what what a tragic way to to wrap up a life with no one there no one to talk about what you meant and no visible relationships around your life and even though most of us uh, if not all of us will never experience that it would take a real turn of events for most of us in this room to have any kind of an ending like that. Paul warns us about another day where many people their eternity going into their eternity their life will look just like that. He warns us about a day that we are all in jeopardy of having great loss He tells it to the Corinthians, and it's now embedded in Scripture for all of us to know about. Listen to what he writes to them. According to the grace of God given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and somebody else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's saying very simply, it's the, the foundation of, of, of our faith is about Jesus, and our faith is in Jesus, and our hope is in Jesus, and we get to heaven because of Jesus, and we don't get to heaven because of anything else. We put our faith in him, and God does a transforming work in our life because we put faith in him, and the grace of God is applied to us. That's the foundation. That's what he has laid and now he says that that there's building to be done on that foundation and each one should take care how he builds upon it now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones wood, hay, or straw each one's work will become manifest because the day capital D talking about day of judgment will disclose it it's going to be revealed in that day what you built on that foundation, where you went from there, what happened to your life and how you used your life from the day that you came into the kingdom of God and became a follower of Christ, that, that day is going to reveal what you did because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Let me say that again. What sort of work each one has done. Every one of us, the work of our life as a follower of Christ is going to be put to the test and it's going to be revealed with fire. In verse 14 it says, If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. He says there's a possibility that you can have the foundation of Christ lived in your life and yet not be careful about what you do with that and that how that foundation of faith Expands in your life, controls and directs your life, leads and unfolds your life, and not be careful about it. You can go about doing your own business, doing your own thing, living your own way, and at the day comes when you stand before God, it'll be put to the test, and you'll be like that man at the funeral home where nothing's left. Nobody's there. No works to count. Gone up in smoke. Or you can have a life that was directed and founded on that foundation. You've been careful how you've built. And there's something to last in it. Life, think about it, life lived with nothing to show for it. Just as empty as this man's final testimony on this earth with no one there to say, he was my friend, he made me laugh, he... He he and I spent time together and enjoyed each other's company. He and I did this together. He was my uncle. He, He was my friend. No one there. Our testimony in heaven will be nothing done, nothing accomplished, nothing built upon the foundation. And Paul says, Be careful. Be careful. Some, instead of finding their divine destiny in the work of the kingdom that they were called to to, to build and to accomplish, Paul warns that their life will end up being lived out as an empty shadow, a life filled with activity that had no shelf life. Oh, they had worries and they had fears and desires and accomplishments and goals and dreams sure enough they did things their life was that may have been very active but the dna of what they were doing was that was this temporary world and it had no eternal lasting to it and at the end of the day it all goes up in smoke now note this he was talking to christians He was saying to them, listen, you'll be saved because the foundation was rightly laid, but you're saved as one passing through the fire. He's telling us that our divine destiny, the work that we're called to do, this thing that God puts into us, this gifting that we have that comes from God, this calling to follow after him is important. And he's saying, what are you doing with your life? How are you ex- extending your life and reaching out to others? So we say, how do I find my divine de- destiny? I, I, well, I believe Paul begins to lay this out really clearly in, in 1 Corinthians 13. I believe there's a foundation of where we start at. We've talked about divine transformation last week, but this week we talk ab- about what drives that accomplishment. In 1 Corinthians 13:1, he says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but to have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a noisy gong or a, clang, a, a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if, if I have faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Here is the key crux of it. When I come into Christ, the, the love of God transformationally moves in my life and it begins to rip out the selfishness of life and i begin to i should i should begin to be motivated by seeing others as i see god a god that i love and i want to please and now the the true christian begins to see other people in the world around them through the loving eyes of god through the eyes of god that says let me serve let me do do the things that will lift others up. If I am full of gifting, full of insight, even do great things but if it is not motivated by love, I miss the mark. It may be motivated by self-ambition. It may be motivated by uh, the desire to achieve things for myself. It may be motivated by a desire for fame but at the end of the day, no matter how good the work was, no matter how powerful it was, no matter how godly it was, if it was motivated by selfishness, it burns up in the fire it amounts to nothing but if down the the depth of my heart I'm doing what God has told me to do right where he's told me to do it because I love the people God has put around me to serve that's lasting that means something Dr. Brackett is a, a name probably most of us in this room never heard if any of us I read about him recently he was a doctor in the southwestern part of the United States in the mid, early to mid 1900s. Back in those days, we didn't have all the medical facilities that we have now. We didn't have all the places to go that you have now. I didn't have all the insurance opportunities or lack of opportunities that we have now. However, you look at them, and and so uh, they, they just they just didn't have things. So he he felt called that instead of staying, serving in a big city and in a hospital where maybe you could make some money he felt called to go down to this area of our country that didn't have much and to set up shop there and to serve the poor in the area. And that's where Dr. Brackett spent his life. He had a, a small office in a small town in a city square. If you have been in a, a really small town with a city square and the, the buildings around the square, and many times two-story buildings or three-story buildings, his office was on the second floor of the building above a clothing store, and it had a little door down that you could come off of the street and a little door, and he had a little sign on, it, a little gold plaque on the door, telling telling where his office was at, and people could come in there. The poor would come in and come see him. Doctor Brackett lived his life alone. He had he had fallen in love once and had been engaged, but on his wedding day, uh, the day he was uh, to go meet his bride, he got a phone call. It was from a poor. Uh, Mexican family that lived outside the city and the wife was in labor and she was in trouble and Dr. Brackett dropped everything on his wedding day and went out and helped this family and delivered the baby he thought his bride would understand and wait that this was a life and death set of circumstances but she didn't she said that a man who would leave his bride at the altar to deliver a Mexican baby was not suitable to be a husband and many people agreed with her well of course with the exception of the Mexican family and their little baby years would go by and Dr. Brackett would serve the poor of that community and in his 70's Dr. Brackett himself got sick and died The people of that area said it was the largest funeral they'd ever seen up until that point in time in that part of the world. People came from everywhere, the poor that he had served over all those years of service and talked about the things that he had done for them, the cold nights he'd driven out to their house, the times they'd come in with nothing and how he'd cared for them, how he'd ministered to them, how he'd made them feel better and help them in their time of need at the funeral there was much discussion about a tombstone what should be put on it what should it look like how big should it be maybe it should be a statue and not simply it's tombstone think of all the things that he has done but in the end those who came and had been served were the poor and they didn't have the money even to put together to build a tombstone let alone a statue So at the end, the grave site was left unmarked. Until one day, the funeral director was driving through the graveyard, getting ready for another funeral. And as he drove by, he looked out and he saw something on Dr. Brackett's grave. Something shiny was out there. And so he stopped and he got out of the car and he walked out to Dr. Brackett's grave to see what this thing was it was kind of propped up on a stick there someone had peeled the gold plaque off of his office door and propped it up over his grave it simply read dr Brackett, office upstairs Listen, Dr. Brackett didn't go to heaven because he served the poor. Dr. Brackett served the poor because heaven was already alive in him. See, that is the difference. It's not about trying to earn our way. It's about what God has done in us that changes us and moves us. This is the crux of divine destiny. When the love of God lives, the actions of God are sure to follow. This is one of our tests. When the love of God lives in us, the actions of God are sure to follow out of us. Love and service that are selfless. When the Spirit of God bursts us into the kingdom, love for God and for others comes with it. And that seed is planted in our life in that very foundation. And if we build upon that foundation and we take that love that is laid in that foundation and we instill it through the actions of our life, we build on a sure foundation uh, with a material that is sure to last the test of time. But if we don't build upon love, if we build it upon our old selfishness, our old service, our our old mindset, our old prejudices, our old way of looking at life, it is going to amount to nothing it's not going to last the test it's not going to stand now I've been told most of my life that when you love somebody you're not demanding but I want to tell you today love is demanding love, when I love somebody I don't demand much out of them but love inside of us demands much out of us love demands that I care love demands that i care and love cries out do something don't just care cares not enough love cries out get involved do something love does not separate love invests. when a need is seen love cries out get it do something when a desire is expressed love cries out get involved When there's a good to be done, love cries out. Invest your life. Listen, I go to toy stores today. Anybody else go to toy stores today that have no interest in toys? I go to toy stores because love demands it. Are you with me? Guys, I buy dresses today. Spend money on dresses today because love demands it. I buy pedicures today <laughs> because love demands it. Are you with me? I give donations today because love demands it. It can't sit and say, oh, there's hungry in the world. That's somebody else's problem. There's there's clothless people, there's people without clothes in the world, there's people without education in the world, there's people without water in the world. All governments should take care of that. No, love demands that we do something. Love expects us to get involved with the poor, the uneducated, the lost, the sick, uh, the needy. Love demands that we step up and invest our life and that we do something to help those in need because love cries out inside of us, do something. When we hear the missionary appeal, when we see the teenager walking through the halls around us that seems a bit lost and confused in the way they're living their life, it doesn't just say, well, their parents ought to do something. It says, what should I be doing? It doesn't say, oh, I need to keep my kid away from this. It says, how can we invest and make a difference in this life? Love doesn't love doesn't help let us seclude ourselves and hide away. Aren't you glad that love demanded that the King of Kings come out of heaven and come to this earth and pay the price for our sin? Aren't you glad that love demanded that he not hide out in heaven, but that he come and pay the price for us? And friend, hear me, when that love lives in us, it will not let us hide ourselves away. It will not let us remain selfish. It will not allow us to say it's somebody else's problem. Love cries out in our spirit. Get involved. Do something. Whatever little you have, invest it to make a difference in the world. Love, love says stop. Drop what you're doing. Use what you have. You have been loved. Now you go out and love. Pity may say how sad as you go about doing your own thing. But love says, get up. Invite him to your house. Get involved. Friends, hear this. When love rules, I still see the faults in others. I still see other people's faults. But it's not judgmental seen. It's not condemnation seen. It's not how terrible are they seen. No, when love rules and we see others' faults, it looks for ways to minister and serve. It says, how can I help them? How can I lift them up? How can I help reach into their life and make a difference? How can I encourage them down a right path? It doesn't bring out the nails to nail them to the cross. It brings out the healing balm to say, how can I minister this to their life so that will be no more? Friends, the selfish heart is filled with excuses. The selfish heart does not understand putting its day on hold for another person. In our own way, we say, boy, the Mexican baby isn't worth that much when we sit and we do nothing. Love demands my time. Love opens my wallet. Love demands my energy. Love demands my resources and love demands sacrifice. Love is where divine destiny lives. If I don't have love for the people I'm serving, <laughs> Friends, I've lost it. The selfish heart demands to be blessed. The spirit filled, loving heart expects to be a blessing. Say, so how do I get there? A number of years ago, a person came to see my dad and they were sharing with him about a vision they'd had for their life a vision of a divine destiny. And they said, I believe, and they said, this is what God's showed me, and they said, well, I want to hear it. And they shared, they said, they saw themselves at some point in the future. Uh, speaking to crowds of thousands in auditoriums all across the United States. I said, that's great. That's great. I hope God uses you in, in that way. And they said, well, how, do I get, how do I get there? And Dad said, I'll tell you what to do. Tell exactly what to do. We have a Sunday school class that needs, needs a teacher. We have a Sunday school class that needs a teacher. Uh, take over that class. And the response was, oh, I could never do that. See, I, I like to, you know, be, have my weekend free where I can travel with my family and I can go see my family whenever I want to or we can go on little trips together and I could never anchor myself to a Sunday school class long enough to, you know, be there every week. And I said, okay. Now, to the best of my knowledge, that person has never once spoke to anybody over two or three people. See, to find your divine destiny, you've got to start with the door that's in front of you today, and then God takes you to the next door. He may give you a great dream, but it always starts with service today. It always starts in a small thing today. It always starts at a place today where you humbly serve simply because you love and when you go through the door he gives you and you love and you serve today, then he can open the door to the next place tomorrow. See, there are lessons to learn there. There are lessons to learn that walking through the door in front of you that prepare you to walk through the door God is planning on opening to you. And when you get to that point where God's opened another door and another door and another door, you never look back at those days with the spirit of despising those days. You always look back at those days as a day of gratefulness for what you learned that you're not making mistakes down in this door with because you learned great lessons in loving and serving in that door. But whatever door God gives you, however great or small it is, it's not great because of numbers. It's not great because of fame. It's great because of obedience. It's where God put you that makes the difference. Listen, if you're an usher, be an usher that loves people that prays when you walk in the door God let me serve people today let me love on people let me be sensitive to people coming in the doors of this church let me reach out to them and welcome them and encourage them if you're a greeter come in every week saying God fill me with your spirit today to encourage somebody who's discouraged to lift somebody up who needs to be lifted up let me come in today father and pour your spirit through me into people's lives so they'll know they're loved and they're cared for if you're a singer don't come in and say oh everybody let me showcase my talent to you today no your talent doesn't doesn't do anything your ability it's, it's stuff that goes up in the smoke and the flames unless it's filled with a love for people that you come in and you say, God, let me reveal your love to people. Let me reveal your presence to people. Let these words comfort people's hearts. Let these words draw people into worship. Let these words lift people into a new realm so they can face whatever they're going to face this week. God, use me this week as a vessel that your love flows through to touch people's lives. If you're a Sunday school teacher, love and pray for those students. But make sure whatever you're building on, that you're building on love. But here's the the bottom line. Do something. There's a door to go through today. Go through it today. Be faithful to it today. Be loving in it today. And let God open the next door. You see, Jesus is our greatest example of all of that. Coming from heaven coming down to give his life for us. We're reminded of that whenever we hold in our hands the elements of communion. I'm gonna ask the ushers to go get ready to service today. We're gonna hold these in our hands. We're gonna remember this was real flesh. This was real blood. This was a savior who could have stayed in heaven and let us get what we deserved. But instead, he came to this earth and extended the grace and the love of God to us. And now if that foundation is ruling in our life, then we need to let love rule in our hearts. And we need to love others and serve others. Find your divine destiny. My hope and my prayer for you is that when that day comes and the works of your life are put to the test, that you find yourself there with great treasure. Amen. Now, friends, it's not going to be great treasure because you love cars. It's not going to be great treasure because you love pleasure or because you love money or because you love fame. Great, go- great treasure is going to be there because you loved people and you love God. Love people, love God, and do what they demand. And God will use you. Amen. Amen. Father, we pray you to let us find that divine destiny. The one that Jesus came himself to fulfill for us. And the one that has been planted in us to do. Let us find it and do it, Father. Not with a sour spirit. Not with a heart. But with joy and love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in the name of the Lord and may his joy be in your heart today.